1: Welcome to another podcast episode of Merkaba Chakras. I'm your host, Vaughn Galt. And today we talk to neuroscientist and author, Dr. Koshik Ram, about how his precognition method transforms our heart field. Now, it is commonly misinterpreted that Buddhism is all about understanding the mind however the advanced buddhist mystics such as myself and others have proven in buddhist mandalas art history that the heart field is the largest oral field around the teacher and the halo around the mind is secondary and so with that dr koshik ram welcome to makaba chakras
2: yeah. Thank you, Von Galt. Uh, wonderful to be here.
1: Yeah, I I, I love these topics. Um, and not to make the mind um, subservient or less of value to the heart, but there has been a lot of focus on mind and understanding mind and understanding, you know, consciousness through mindfulness. And that's wonderful, because that's all that we know how so far in modern medicine to measure. but Understanding the heart field and the energy of the heart is, um, we know it has more energy than the mind field, but we're still learning a lot about how to measure how much of it and how it relates to our consciousness. So um, this this concept of precognition is really interesting to me. So before we get into your research, can you tell us your story for how you even got into this work in the first place?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I guess um, most people are interested in how I got into it professionally and, uh, you know, how I started neuroscience. Uh, But prior to that, uh, I had a near-death experience, which uh, triggered this journey in the first place. Before that, I was a biologist. I was studying animal behavior and zoology. And um, after a near-death experience, I... uh, couldn't really avoid the question of consciousness. So Mm. um, back then I was sort of doing animal behavior. I was doing brain surgery on sharks. And um, from that, I was like, what if I just turned this into a medical degree and study the human brain itself? So Ah. that's how it started uh, more than 15 years ago.
1: Well, And
2: um, I guess, uh, you know, prior to even that, you know, I had a lot of, um, I guess, emotional dysfunctions, and uh, I, I was a fairly lost kid in the world, uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure out purpose, what my mission was, uh, kind of like what everyone goes through. And uh, after uh, that near-death experience, it became very obvious what my mission was, and I thought it was to understand consciousness itself. But, as I dug deeper into it, especially from a neuroscience perspective, I realized that uh you know the human brain was only a small part mm-hmm. of uh, the entire i guess ecosystem within uh, ourselves, and uh the heart played a major role in regulating that. so I started understanding uh first of all how the brain and body was connected uh from a biological perspective and uh the more I dug deeper, the more I realized how predominant the heart is in or modulating all the bodily processes. So that that's been, I guess, the focus of, of my research, and I call it precognition because um, the heart is the first perception of reality,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: so it happens before cognition. So it's different from you know uh, the typical. Uh, I guess, uh, understanding of precognition, which is mm-hmm. uh, premonitions of the future or having a dream state realization uh, and then something happens in reality. Uh, I do make that distinction. For me, precognition is a biological process rather than um, uh, some form of fantasy related.
1: Right, right. So let me ask you something, um, Dr. Koshik. Tell us about your NDE. What? I mean, so what happened? That got you to your near death experience, and what 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 was the experience like when you went through your NDE?
2: Yeah, uh, I'll just preface this one as well because um, for more than I think twenty years, uh, sorry, fifteen years, um, I have been very reluctant to talk about this one. Uh, it's been a very personal experience for me, but. Um, uh, I, I started talking about it a bit more once I had written down written it down in my book Hidden World,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: and then uh, people became very interested about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, I this was a very personal experience. What well,
1: um, now? Why so why why were you hesitant to share it? I mean, it's 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 a very fascinating experience, and uh, everybody goes through. So, why did you not want to share it?
2: Um. <laughs> the 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 reason was um when i first had this experience i could not stop talking about it and i was with a girlfriend at the time and she got so annoyed by me talking about it all the time that uh, she was like if you ever talk about this again i'll leave you and wow was uh, the wrong she girlfriend me for the reasons, <laughs> but i i stopped talking about it so, <laughs> uh that was you know early early 20s um Uh, and you know that that was quite a significant experience but yeah for me it happened when I was uh, traveling um, through Indonesia
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: uh, you know I I didn't quite like the tourist hotspots so I started island hopping east um, from Bali to Lambok through Flores, Komod Island and eventually I ended up in the uh, west side of Papua New Guinea, uh, which uh-huh. is called Irian Jaya, and then I, I decided to head up into the highlands. And uh, when I got there, I um, uh, I had a tour guide who spoke uh-huh. very little English, and uh-huh. um, he was sort of a fifty-year-old middle-aged man and uh, usually very drunk. <laughs> um, and so he, he was guiding me through the mountains through you know underground cave dwellings um sounds like a good guide houses, all this you know unique yeah. experiences uh and still very remote uh back then in 2009 there were barely like 10 or 12 tourists up there per year mm. so it, it's not really where you know the typical uh man or woman goes right and so I I was up in the Highlands, and one night I actually got to stay in um, a little cabin that the missionaries had built in the 1800s. Uh, It was abandoned, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, my tour guide always slept outside, so he slept on the ground. Uh, So I was inside this cabin, uh, which was fortified, Uh, because headhunting and cannibalism was still common back then. Oh! So uh, I got into this cabin and it felt like, you know, there had been massacres or some...
1: Oh, so you felt the energy.
2: Exactly. And I was only Um. 22, so I had Mm. no idea, you know, what I was feeling, but I I could even, like, I, I felt terrified even breathing in that uh, in that environment And you
1: you stayed you slept there you stayed there you didn't decide to sleep elsewhere
2: I, I didn't have a choice I'm in the middle of the forest that's the only place where there's a bed and oh. um, so yeah I, I did make that decision to okay stay here but I didn't know whether there was you know spirits or anything like that in that place uh, that wasn't something i i i could sense uh or even contemplate back then so i stayed in this cabin whether it was haunted i don't know but i got extremely sick to the point that i thought i was going to die
1: like and, what was when it's extremely sick you just felt like nauseating or you felt like like no, what I felt like my head was about to explode i was pain. Okay. yeah just from staying and, in this uh, environment okay interesting
2: yeah, so whether it be uh, related to some form of energetics in the environment, I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or could be as simple as me drinking water, which had been contaminated. Yeah, uh, I don't know the cause of why I got extremely sick. Right, But um, the fact is I was extremely sick inside that, um, inside that cabin and so the the only thing that I knew to alleviate that was meditation
3: mm-hmm. and
2: so I started going deeper into uh, my body
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, I use a, a mantra uh, which uh, my dad had uh, often read um, You know, which on, one uh, when he read scriptures it's not a chanting mantra it's not very obvious it's from the it's just a sanskrit um sentence called which means with practice comes knowledge and with knowledge comes focus so mm-hmm. i decided to practice uh meditation uh and this is you know my young sort of 20 year old mind going maybe this will help yeah. yeah and so because the pain was so extreme my meditation had to be just an extreme on the opposite end. And so when I dived deep within my own body, uh, I got to a certain point where the physical form uh, disappeared. And so with it, the pain disappeared as well. And when there was no form, uh, there was like no idea of space either. So I didn't have an orientation up, down, left, right. you know, it was in this state where there was no space. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I went further still and uh, at a certain point, um, time disappeared. So mm-hmm. at that point, the mind did abandon that journey because it could not contemplate uh, what I was experiencing. And uh, I went further still and I, I could experience everything from, you know, the tiniest electrons moving around um, a nucleus to Mm -hmm. galaxies colliding against each other to everything in between as if it was going through. Uh, Yeah, the universe at light speed, like everything was experienced at the same time. Uh, And I don't know how long I was in this experience, Uh, but when I did come out of it, Uh, the first thing that occurred to me was the fact that I was human. And then the entire history of humankind just occurred to me, going, oh, wow, like we've fought so many wars, we've done so much damage to the planet. Uh, I I realized, I guess, the uh, the burden of being a human uh, Mm on this planet.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: so... You know, it took me a long time to, I guess, reintegrate back into humanity. It took at least five years uh, Mm -hmm. from experience itself to then coming to reality and going, wow, like uh, human beings function uh, a certain way and they have jobs and responsibilities and, you know, to reacquaint myself with um, modern existence.
1: Yeah. So it's yeah. been
2: uh you know a, a long sort of journey of reintegrating back into society after an experience that I still cannot explain.
1: Right. So let me ask you about that experience because I'm very familiar with that experience. So so you went into so how so you went into a deep meditation state where um you enter another level of consciousness where you completely remove yourself from the physical. So you felt like emptiness. And then you completely removed yourself. You went even further, higher up into your consciousness, and removed yourself from your identity. So now you're no longer Doctor Ram. Um, and then went even further into being um, one with consciousness itself, which is everything within space and time and all of that. So it's even a higher level or of of um, understanding. But how how is that a near death experience? Or how is you know did somebody come? to tell you, did your tour guide come and tell you, hey, we've been trying to resuscitate you and you, your heart stopped. I mean, how, how, how do we know it's not just a deep meditation, meditative state, a, a deep gamma brainwave state of meditation?
2: Uh, first of all, gamma is not uh, a deep meditative sa- state. What's a deeper state
1: um, um, beyond that?
2: No, so um, usually meditation is related to the alpha state uh and uh if you fall deeper into I guess um uh a more sleep like state then there that's delta. Uh but um gamma is a, a very spontaneous spike in brain activity. Mm-hmm. It's often related to creativity or an epiphany or realization, which happens um suddenly in a moment and then disappears. Our brain cannot maintain gamma because it's like a shock wave, with right. the brain. Right. So, so you yeah. went
1: beyond any kind of known level of understanding consciousness and became everything. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. in that, in that, in the state, how do we know that you actually died? Did Did you have your like I said? Did you have your tour guide come and tell you, "Hey, we've been trying to resuscitate you," or you know, how do you know it was death versus just, you know, um, getting into a very deep state of consciousness through the meditation method that you, that you did?
2: Uh, To be honest, I don't know. Uh, No one came uh, into the room. I was there by myself. Uh, I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, wrote a letter to my parents going, maybe I'll not make it through tonight. Uh, (laughs) And You know, like sorry for being young and foolish and um, you know, constantly going on random adventures, maybe this one would have cost me. So yeah, yeah. in my mind, I had accepted the fact that I might not come out of this one.
1: Right, right. So um so so you had come back and you had this understanding of all of human existence. And what are and and so the wars and all the the feuding that we do in human history that was what kind of caught, what 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 kind of um, imprinted that you remembered or was there any other things that was unique that you also remembered that really stuck with you still?
2: No, I mean when I did return back to reality. everything that I described happened in an eye blink. So it's not that I started remembering human history. No, mm-hmm. it, just, it was such a, like everything happened all at once. And mm-hmm. there is no, like me trying to remember anything.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just a knowing. So, it's a knowing. Was it like a knowing? Yeah. Like you just, just yeah, like, and like, it, you, it just you know, happened
2: so quickly Uh, so I, and once it had happened, I didn't really go back and think about it.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: what did remain was that experience where I had gone somewhere beyond the mind.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And so for me, I dedicated the rest of my life to then find a way to, uh, get back to that experience. And uh, quite honestly, I've never been able to recreate that experience. But oh, really? Um, oh, okay. Yes.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I've tried everything from like all sorts of psychedelic, you know, substances, plant medicine, yeah. nothing mm-hmm. even remotely comes close to what I'd experienced. So if that's your reference point, uh, and you then go and try, you know, various other forms of meditation
3: right um
2: and you know uh, other activities uh your reference point is different if you haven't had that experience right then you you know
1: no i know uh, i know yeah so um so okay so you came back to your body and um you slept through the night in this in this i don't know room or this hut so, um, so nothing happened to your body, right? Or you, were you still sick when you woke up?
2: No, I wasn't sick at all. So okay, when good. I woke up, uh, I was completely fine. I don't know how long I was in that state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not like absolutely no idea. Uh, it could have been that day. could have been two days. I actually don't know.
1: Well, what, what did the tour guide say? Because he slept outside.
2: Yeah, so all of that um, is kind of a blur to me. I, I don't yeah. even remember going to the airport to fly back to Sydney. It just, it was such a blur after that experience.
1: Mm. Okay, so you adjusted back into the game. So you you came back into your body, you came back into the world, and you basically sit, sit yourself back into your... Um, your storyline your avatar so now you're back into society and you say it took, it took you five years to reintegrate um what was the hardest parts about reintegrating after this experience because this is, experience is now part of you you can't undo it so
2: yeah i guess the uh the most challenging part has been um Realizing that, you know, that is a very personal experience and not everyone will relate to it. And especially in the environments that I I work in, you know, in academia, Mm. uh, it's uh, immediately dismissed. And so... Why is that? um, Well, they don't know any different, right? They haven't had that experience, so Mm. they don't have a reference point. So they're coming from their own biases, uh, biases and judgments, and you can't really expect everyone to understand what you've gone through. Like as I say, it is a very personal experience, mm. and not everything can be explained. I don't even try to explain that experience. Yeah, you know, it's um, and uh, to expect other people to uh, think the way you do or. Uh, see the world that you do is uh, an error in your own judgment really mm-hmm. uh, everyone is unique in the way that they they experience life
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it's like falling in love you can't you can talk about falling in love but um you have it's something that you have to experience yourself in order to really understand what it, it feels like to be in love
2: yes exactly
1: mm-hmm. so um so what my question is how much did how did much of humanity let go of their egos hijack to to let their egos hijack their brains and then reject the intelligence of the heart because the work that you went into was to study the heart and the effects of the heart in terms of precognition so um let's talk about your work so as you were doing this you came up you had discovered your concept of the precognition method so define to people what is precognition first of all before we go into application and everything else
2: yeah so it's a very simple concept it's the ability uh, of the heart to perceive reality before anything else does and in a real world sense that's you know changes in your heart rate changes in your metabolic rate Changes in the energy distribution between organ systems, uh, pupil dilation, sweating in the palms, like all of these changes happen uh, before even information reaches the subconscious. And Mm -hmm. then the subconscious picks up what the body is sensing and then decides what information is relevant to then uh, deliver to our conscious perception so that process has a, a bit of a time lag and so when i say precognition it is the bodily processes especially relating to the heart uh changes in the heart rate is what we call heart rate variability mm-hmm. so all those things happen uh, prior to our conscious perception um, right we live in a world where we think um with our heads And we we direct our body from the head, from the mind. And uh, because this happens from a very young age, we uh, start relating to our environment and we see ourselves as this is me and that is outside me. Mm -hmm. That's where we make that distinction between who I am and what I'm not. And then also we... Might have um, uh, some form of possessiveness. This is mine. This mm-hmm. relates to me. Uh, this is my, you know, storyline. This is my work. This is right. my identifiers. You know, so, is so, what I call them. Extensions of yeah. me. Um, so, because we create that, um, we start interacting the world, interacting with the world based on uh, our our perception uh however when we look at the heart and how that responds um a lot of how the heart is responding through is just moment to moment mm-hmm. so inherently it is uh, responding to the now and uh the mind has this habit of traveling into the past or future to interact with the world so right uh yeah that like for me, because I have mapped that entire process between brain and body, mm-hmm. uh, what I do is I teach people to intercept um, the process at uh, various different levels to be able to um, uh, work from the heart. So depending on how, uh, I guess, mature the person is in you know, the personal development world, Uh, they might not need some of the techniques Mm. uh, or they might need to start from the very beginning. And depending on where they are, we intercept Mm. their nervous system at a particular stage so that that brain-body connection is established. And then once that is there, uh, the mind is no longer leading. Uh, The heart now has the opportunity to take over.
1: Right. Let me ask you something about the heart. Um another question about the heart. So, um let me get your opinion of, uh, or your perspective on this. So, let's say somebody is um okay, I'll give you an example. I'll give them. We're looking for a dog. Okay? We're looking for a dog for the family and we we haven't really found the dog and we go to the shelter and we don't really feel connection with any one of them but let's say there's a my husband did this with our previous dog he went to the shelter and the dog came up our dog fairies he came up out of, out of all the other dogs came up to the gate sat there ready to go and just kind of you know wagged his tail and smiled it's like i'm ready to go and my husband boyfriend at the time walked up looked at the dog and was like oh there you are. And there was just an instant connection. But he didn't even think about anything else. Like, oh, this one was, this dog is bigger than what we were going to um, gonna get. Uh, this dog is, you know, um, a little older than what originally wanted. All those mind talkings of analytics was not in the decision-making process. It was completely heart-based. Like, oh, I feel a connection with this dog. I really feel like this is my dog. And the dog, you know, back and forth. So where does that impulse of knowing come from? Does it come from non-local consciousness? Or does it come from your own, I, you know, your own ego consciousness? Where does that signal come from that tells the heart, yes, this is the dog. This is the one that, I, that we're looking for. Because all the mind stuff was not in the decision-making. So can you yeah. talk about that example?
2: Yeah, so I I would um, really equate that to intuition. And uh, where does intuition come from? I Mm -hmm. actually don't know. Uh, Similar to where do thoughts come from? I don't actually know. I know they're manufactured through the synapses of of the brain. But uh, where does it actually come from? And how is it fabricated? Um, I don't know. So similar with intuition. Uh, but it, it it does rely quite heavily on, um, the brain body connection. So people who are very intuitive are very connected with their hearts. Mm -hmm. And, um, often when, you know, people say, I actually don't know what you're talking about. I actually give them an exercise to do, which is, uh, so, so we will use your example of choosing a dog, um, what I would do in that case is uh, say there's two dogs that I need to choose choose between. I'll imagine what it feels like to be with one of the dogs Mm -hmm. with full conviction and see how my body is responding to that. Right. uh, Rather than what I'm cognitively thinking about. So just observing the bodily processes, does it feel expansive? You know, do you feel relaxed when you, Think about it. Do you feel warm? Uh, do you feel affection? Uh, and then letting go of that experience completely, and then giving the other dog just as much conviction, and then observing what's happening in the body. And you might find one has more affinity than the other. And I'm just talking about body. I'm not talking about what the dog looks like. Right, or, right. You know, it, it, I'm not observing the dog itself. I'm observing observing what's happening uh, within my own physiology mm-hmm. and so from that standpoint regardless of you know which dog it is I simply go with the one that feels quite expansive within myself and right. you know the heart always has a way of knowing that and uh, quite often you realize the Consequences of that outcome in retrospect, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in the moment you might not be able to explain it. It might even feel illogical or irrational, and right. often say intuition is quite often counterintuitive, bit because it goes against what the the mind wants.
1: Right, and, and that is so um, true. That is so true. Because let me um, let me expand further on that. So in terms of what the mind or mind ego says it it wants and what the heart really wants. You know, it's just like that rock set 80s song, listen to your heart. <laughs> but um, you know, with, with regards to the story of the dog, um, I'll give you a different story as well. And this is a very common one when it comes to matters of the heart and listening to that intuition from the heart. And um what you're saying, and let me get this straight as well, is that the heart immediately has um, an impulse decision on something. It already already made a, a decision on something, whatever the decision is in that situation, it already made a decision. And then if you are tuned into your heart and you're tuned into your body, Um, then your heart is going to send the signal to your body and then your whole body system is going to respond naturally to the signals coming out of the heart. And eventually you're going to start thinking ways in which to justify what your heart wants. And that is a unified harmonic body. Whereas somebody who um, doesn't listen to the intuition, doesn't listen to the gut, their heart, whatever you want to call it, uh, starts thinking other alternative thoughts or, or um logic to try to justify another perspective, and they go with that, and then later on they regret it because it wasn't really what they wanted, and they knew all along that they didn't listen to the heart so that's that that's that's the two um choices that, that people typically make, and the one where they're not listening to the heart they're not listening to the gut and they're not listening to the intuition about something um they're just going with the story of their mind, their ego, everybody else. Um, it usually backfires on them because then they're unhappy, and then their body typically will start developing ailments to let them know that it's not happy with its state, its current state of um, affairs. So what I found is that when people don't listen to their higher self about discord in their life, their bodies start to manifest ailments to let the person know that they are stressed. So what is your experience with people who don't listen to their heart? And how does that affect their body?
2: Yeah, uh, this is something that I love talking about because it's so apparent. Um, Uh And, uh, you know, uh, the the connection between brain and body, between the heart and the mind is actually measurable. Uh, We call it vagal tone science and so when someone has low vagal tone there's all sorts of ailments um, mental physical and physiological and uh, you know there's been various studies done on how to heighten that vagal tone and how Mm -hmm. it uh, responds in medical cases so for example um, a few years ago there was a study in the Netherlands where they implanted a device uh, on the neck which stimulated Mm -hmm. the vagus nerve uh, Mm -hmm. for people who had rheumatoid arthritis. And so by stimulating the vagus nerve, um, the inflammation and rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune uh, disease. Uh, The inflammation disappeared and the nervous system naturally restored balance and so the rheumatoid arthritis was gone as long as um, the vagus nerve was being stimulated. Mm. So that's one example. It's also been used for treatment response to depression and chronic fatigue syndrome. So mental conditions as well. Right. Um, so I, I do agree with you there that, um, you know, when people do go against their heart's desire, uh, because now there's a conflict happening between brain and body Mm -hmm. that creates resistance in uh, functioning in your daily reality. Right. right? Because now you're in two minds, right? Uh, Yeah. Or in other words, there's a conflict between the heart and the mind. And so that resistance later on leads into dysfunctions. So it's similar Mm -hmm. to, you know, the body sending a signal saying, hey, I am tired. And a person's typical response would be, ah, oh, I'll need more coffee. So they take a coffee. And right. so the heart rate rises, the metabolic state rises, the body thinks it's in fight or flight. But when in actual fact, what was needed was, oh, I feel tired. Right. So I need to get some rest. And when I close my eyes, the body goes into the parasympathetic state it gets the rest that it needs the body finds it finds its own harmony and then it balances the nervous system, uh, healing. And, you know, the, uh, the, the, there's all these hormones that are regulated when your body is in the parasympathetic state, Mm -hmm. human growth factor. Uh, there's all this regeneration that happens. So, um, when you deny the body of that, so first of all, you're feeling tired and you, you didn't listen to it um, and you took a coffee. So now uh, you're in this fight-of-flight state and you're matching you know, mm-hmm. your state with what the environment is doing, which is usually some form of chaos. And right. so in that state, the body might give you another signal going, okay, like, now I'm in a a panic state, and, you know, so progressively, uh, the body starts giving more and more signals, and if we keep ignoring it, you know, the body, at a certain point, shuts down, and that's Hmm. like a catatonic state, or a state of shock, or fatigue, or trauma, and the body was speaking all along, but we weren't listening yeah yeah so and it just gets worse and
1: worse comes.
2: so um yeah so magnified
1: yeah well let, let me ask you in terms of another very, very common experience um that many people have um when it comes to matters of the heart, so let's say somebody is um okay I'll take you an example of a, of a client I had they had uh my client had been with her boyfriend. For a very long time, for uh, almost eight years, I guess, and she really wanted to get married and have kids, and uh, and tried for many many years to um, cross that threshold and go take the relationship to another experience. And when she finally said um, had had enough and said, "Okay, if we're you know, if we don't do this," I'm going to move on and give myself an opportunity to fall in love with somebody else and, you know, get married and have kids because that's the experience I want. I don't want to cheat myself out of that experience that I want. And um, her, her companion at the time thought about it and thought about it. Remember they've been together eight years, thought about it and he could not make himself uh, or he could not get over the, the the hurdle of um, getting married and having kids, and at the very end of it, when push came to shove, he said, "I just don't want to do that with you." So it was very heartbroken. But she has moved; she had moved on, and she had fallen in love with somebody else. And she is a stepmom now to three wonderful children who love her, and she has that opportunity to be a mother. But the opportunity to have her own biological children had completely passed because she had spent so much time trying and waiting for her um, ex-companion at the time to get over his fear or his hurdle. So my question to you is this. She had known, and it's very common, she had known for a very, very long time because her heart kept telling her that he cares about you. And in essence, he does love you as much as you love him. But he does not love you like that to want to have that experience with you in terms of marriage and children. So you need to love yourself more and move on and give yourself a better opportunity with somebody else to have that experience. But she never listened to it. And she never listened to it. And he never listened to his gut that he knew all along too. So they had spent all this time uh, knowing exactly that they were supposed to be a temporary couple for just maybe a couple of years for dating, but they were supposed to move on. And um, and that's what happened in that relationship. He eventually moved on. He got married a year later with somebody else that his heart was just pitter-patter for, that he just fell head over heels for, and also got pregnant. So um, So this happens very often, and this is a very common matter of the heart. So what is your experience working with people who have these common matters of the heart where they don't listen to their heart with regards to their companion that they choose to stay with or not stay with
3: hmm.
2: so uh, i guess i mean first yeah before,
1: how do we listen to our heart better <laughs> is, is the question so we can avoid that that suffering
2: <laughs> yeah so there, there's there's various forms of love right um there's agape uh unconditional love and love of self mm. um and that that that's i guess what we should all be working on, regardless of whether we're with someone or not um you know that that I feel is uh accessible to everyone regardless of circumstance, so that's one thing uh there is philia which is you know you, you have a sense of connection with other people uh whether it be friends family your tribe you know like mm-hmm. uh, the people who you love and want to hang out with so that that's another form of love and you need that oxytocin boost from your tribe you need that dopamine hit you know when right. you guys do things together and you know that that it's really essential for hormonal regulation um and then there's the romantic love and uh, there's so many complexities of you know what happens within a relationship mm-hmm. and so I, I tend not to give uh, subjective advice on you know like the relationship you you described there would have been so many push and pull scenarios in that relationship and there's so many layers of mm-hmm. you know complexity Within those push-pull dynamics, so I it, it is a very common thing. I I do get that. it is
3: common. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: and I want to you know perhaps this might help people, which is to recognize which stage your life partner is in.
3: Mm. You know,
2: so uh, for example, for a mm. man, he might be in a stage where he's going out into the world trying to. Uh, get a name for himself, build himself foundation, and when a woman enters at that mm-hmm. phase, uh, it's a you know the the guy is still trying to discover himself. Yeah. So yeah. you know it, it's it's priorities a little bit different. Uh, when a man has established himself, and a woman enters at that stage, and she too is established in her our own form of security, Mm -hmm. then they can think differently of how they can, I guess, progress the relationship whether it's marriage, kids, you know, getting a house. All those factors are different. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we find in society today is so many people are looking for things that are outside their life stage. They might be still trying to establish themselves Right. And they're trying to be in a relationship and have kids and right. trying to, you know, have financial security and all of that. So it's such a complicated mix where, you know, and you got to respect certain people come into your life to meet you at the life stage you're in. And once yeah. you moved past that life stage, that person, if they haven't transformed as well, then, you know, they, they might need a different experience to get them there you can't yeah. stay around with the same person yeah uh, and you know so it, it 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 is a very complex scenario yeah and i just
1: get this uh, image i just get from what you're saying i just get this image you know how you have like two cars on the road so here's you and here's your mate uh or your companion and you have two cars in the road and you you meet up at the time that you met up you're on the same lane so you're going through on the same lane However, you knew that you were going to take the freeway at some point to go to a different destination, and that person doesn't want to take that, and so you you just stay hovering around the same pattern, and then um, it, it gets to a point where you either have to decide you're no longer going to take that path, you're no longer going to take the freeway and veer off to that other destination that you know you want to experience, and stay in this lane with this person who's not ever going to go there or um, and be fine with. So at some point, when you realize that you're no longer dating in the same lane anymore, you have to cut it off and move on. Is that what I'm hearing? Because that's kind of what I'm getting from you. At some point, yeah, you outgrow each often, other.
2: Uh, I understand that that can be very difficult because you've yeah. invested, you know,
1: Years.
2: <laughs> intentions and emotionally as well so it can be quite a you know mm-hmm. a grieving process but yeah uh, that can be done quite beautifully as well you know, and how can, do you do
1: it beautifully how do you use your heart consciousness to uh, break or cut ties with a relationship whether it's romantic or in a work scenario um or you know or a friendship that no longer you know, really is satisfactory to you, whatever the relationship is, how does one use their heart intelligence to realize that one, they have outgrown this relationship and it's really not serving them in any way um, and, or, or holding them back. And two, once they make that decision that they have outgrown each other, how do they make that transition in the most peaceful and beautiful way?
2: Yes, I've uh, now become very clear mm-hmm. within myself. So when it comes to these scenarios, I, I, I can make that call uh, okay. because I don't have ambiguity around um, you know, myself. Uh, so I can be you know, very clear and uh, make those decisions with conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, whether it be in a relationship, um it gets to a point where it does not work and at that point uh i do sit my you know partner mm-hmm. and uh we do go over uh you know where the relationship is at
3: mm-hmm. and
2: uh quite often they are, there's a mutual understanding because it is coming and communicated through the heart and whether it's agreed upon or not uh, you can't deny the fact that you know what, what what's happening is real, yeah, so yeah. you know it is coming and i I do sometimes make a little ceremony around it, you know oh thats a good know, way
1: yeah that,
2: you know we we did have a beautiful time together, and now our as you said, you know we're going into different um directions mm-hmm. and that that's quite beautiful, um it often, like it works great when there's not that much emotional investment uh if it's a purely physical thing then you know uh, it's much easier yeah but, but what then, if
1: but what if you have emotional because you build that emotional connection for so long they just don't want to you know take the relationship to like another level like you know let's move in together or let's have a child or let's adopt a child or let's get a dog together you know any any of these other elements uh in terms of how you create your reality that expands on your relationship you know these becoming yeah. defining moments on relationships so
2: yeah and, and so they're like if you have gone to the extent of investing so much time in someone mm-hmm. um you know this is especially common in, amongst kids today i mean i i live in um bondi beach in sydney mm, and beautiful. everyone looks great uh, you know <laughs> health and fitness and a long-term relationship here is three months it's
1: three um, so, months that's like a 90-day work review
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and most people don't pass probation you know and so the
1: the fact of the matter is
2: we live in a cancel culture
1: oh that's uh, hilarious why is that why is that why is it so short term because you don't really get you know you don't build those strong bonds go into
2: the deep waters you just stay Uh in the shallows Uh and when the thing is a lot of times people are not equipped with uh, you know how to navigate a relationship instead it's so much easy to just uh, break up and move on and find the next best thing mm-hmm. and so uh, what is happening is in, they're not really uh, establishing a emotional feedback loop
3: mm-hmm. they don 't
2: understand what a secure attachment feels like they don 't mm-hmm. really understand uh, how much like commitment it takes to actually have a functional relationship everyone describe that describe
1: that because that requires what you just said is the commitment to have a functional relationship in my opinion requires consistent um you know because we're talking about the, the matters of the heart and listening to the heart that requires a a patterning a regular patterning where you have a flow with um you know the energetics between you and somebody else and it's just it's your natural state it's your natural state so in the in the discussion of the young people who break up every 3 months in your neighborhood <laughs> um they never really it doesn't seem like they they really get to a point where there's a natural equilibrium in their relationships and so um how do they do that how do these young people learn to have what i call um long fruitful romantic relationships that turn into life partners, and even so with their friends that have what we call lifetime friends, so you know they don 't know these concepts, but there's a aspect of um creating patterns and creating bonds that build out those type of roots, so how can people? Who aren't familiar with how to do this start doing this using their heart field or their heart intelligence. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah you nailed it there. It does begin begin with uh, your own heart, and uh, most people, I uh, feel, that they are escaping uh, from their heart. Mm-hmm. They've been hurt once and they don't want to mm-hmm. be hurt again.
3: Mm-hmm. And so. Mm-hmm.
2: That alone uh, means that regardless of which relationship they fall in, Mm -hmm. they will always run away from it because they aren't returning back to their own heart. So they're incapable of loving themselves, let alone someone else. And so that is, you know, our core condition that is driving so many, uh, I guess, uh, dating uh, schemes that are out there. (laughs)
1: Oh um, <laughs> yeah, I, I see those i see them online it's it's quite fascinating to see how um you know let's say the concept of online dating international and there are some people who meet their spouse or their you know their loves um through mail order brides for example but there are also scams that go on as well and you have i have come across that as well where i had a a friend who um, really, really fell for somebody in that um, online mail order bride um, avenue. And all their friends and family were were saying, this this is all templated. All these email responses are templated. Uh, It's not even answering your question. It's just, well, respond with template five. And then, oh, with this answer, respond with template 10 or whatever. Um, And eventually, he got burned. He realized it wasn't really genuine and um, he stopped, stopped doing that. He was one of the lucky ones, but um, there's a lot of people who fall for these dating scams, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's on an app or whether it's on a website, I mean, you know, it, it makes it even harder to listen to your heart conscious when they're not physically present with you, where you can't, you know, feel that energy. In the room uh, when they're in there, so how does one use their their heart intelligence when it comes to making connections over the internet? So it is a genuine connection and not a scam.:
2: Yeah, uh, I mean my solution to that is don't use any of the apps at all because <laughs> um, you know there is a critical thing that is missing in there right? Mm. The, the the very human connection. And you can't really do that uh, with an app. Yeah. And uh, just the fact that, you know, when a man approaches a woman mm. on the street, there is this approach anxiety that happens. There's this, uh, you're not swiping left or right with no emotional feedback. Yeah. But, um, you are reading how that person is responding. And there's, you know, fear of rejection. There's, you know, an excitement uh, that happens there as well. The acceleration of, you know, getting someone's number. Mm-hmm. All of these things um, are so essential because what actually is happening is um, uh, the younger generation are not learning how to play with tension.
3: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah
2: create tension in a relationship, and you've done it through an app, uh, where, where is that sexual tension in the first place?
0: Yeah. An
2: algorithm, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, you, you can't skip these processes, because when you do end up in bed, and you can't create sexual tension, um, and I'm talking about positive sexual tension, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you, you, like, it, it, it becomes dysfunctional. Because neither guy or girl is having their needs met.
1: Yeah. So, uh,
2: to be able to do that, uh, first of all, you know, you you will need ways of uh, managing your own anxiety, how to approach someone, how to interact when you are approached. So, all of these things are so important. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is that you cannot love in a hurry and what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. when we're in a constant state of fight or flight we're running around how is it even possible to have a heart-to-heart connection when you're in fear
1: right
3: like
2: those two states cannot coexist so when you are in the parasympathetic state and you connect with someone then there's a space for love to unfold Mm -hmm. and in today's society you know we take the next coffee we run around with so many to-do lists Mm -hmm. like where is the opportunity for love
1: yeah and yeah
2: you know so it I think yeah there's a very uh enormous part of you know human uh, of the human experience that people are missing out on and because they're missing out on that very connection they go around looking for it and you know like guys that uh, have their thumbs bleeding from swiping right <laughs> you know um and getting you know no responses like isn't it so much easier to just approach someone uh someone real
1: yeah and even if you get rejected you have more fun doing it because you're exactly. actually you know you're actually in the game uh you know it's so funny i actually i get a lot of um, millennial clients, um you know for my hypnosis because and one of the common things is how do I attract my love how do I attract like you know somebody that I really am going to be um jazzed about and when and when I ask them, they're like well you know I twitter her and then I uh we, you know we twitter you know we Facebook I met her on Facebook we Twitter um I you know I swipe and I did you know I, I'm like well have you have you talked to her like and they're like well so I, did, I text her <laughs> like no we gotta talk though. so then it it, it it becomes less about that so then we just end up having the rest of the session of the consultation going let's role play how you talk to women and and how you take rejection politely and um and how you get back in the game and how you um how it's okay to feel like you were saying a little anxiety a little tension a little you know what you know Um, cold palms or warm palms or whatever so these are normal things that's happening to your body because it's how your body is communicating with like what you said that signal in your heart that says go for it so you're listening to that signal in your heart like of all the women that you see in whatever the setting you picked out the one that you really were interested in and now you want to try to engage and have a conversation or make conversation somehow. And um, now you're going to go for it. But all these different things that you were describing in terms of your body reacting, that is your body lining up and listening to your heart intelligence is telling you, okay, you got to go for it. Now, um, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, it's totally fine. It's part of the process anyways. You're just getting training. For the next one, <laughs> so I think that I think that's really um, that's really key for a lot of young people dating um, because there is a lot of dating hesitancy, and these apps, although they make it easy to introduce people, you still have to do the work and get to know them. Uh, I met my husband through online uh, through an online website called Match, you know, and we've been together. Um, almost 15 years, but after the initial uh, messaging and talking on the phone, we went on a date and we still had to date. We still had to get to know each other. We still had to learn about each other, et cetera, et cetera. They're, the only thing these apps and these online sites do when it comes to this matter of the heart is just presents you your, your options of people in your area based on your criteria, whatever that criteria is. But then afterwards, it's almost kind of like matchmakers they're matchmakers. afterwards, you still have to get to know them and pursue their relationship, and that takes um some refinement and some skills to um to work on those relationship that relationship on an everyday basis to get that equilibrium that that constant state, whatever that state of some people's relationship state is high volatile all the time, and that's their normal so <laughs> um uh, some people like that. If it becomes too peaceful, they don't like it. They break up. Whatever that's about. Um, but for many people, um, just you know, a, they enjoy relationships that are much more peaceful, much more harmonic, um, much more just enjoyable and pleasant. So whatever your natural harmonics is um, in your heart, you're going to naturally attract somebody else that is of that similar frequency, and then you guys will synergize together so um, that goes to my next question for you so one of the biggest lies much of humanity has believed is that they are separate from one another okay so it's easy to love a kind and compassionate person however how can people love a cruel person okay somebody who's been really cruel to them Difficult mm. a quick um. question for the heart
2: you know, there, there is, um, I do understand uh, compassion and forgiveness and um, quite often there's uh, a lot of merit to it. Uh, you know, it could be a relationship between, you know, a mother or daughter. It could be a relationship between a daughter and a dad or a dad mm-hmm. and a son. Um, you know, we, we can forgive uh, ancestral wounds uh, that are passed on generation to generation
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, we can forgive other people because they are interacting with the world through their own uh experiences, their own wounds, times that they have been hurt, and no one was there to support them mm-hmm. and so they tend to uh react in a certain way uh based on you know uh how the the wounds are are being triggered so all these cases no one is really rude on purpose it's just Mm -hmm. uh you know uh, what they haven't actually found peace uh with their their past within themselves so it comes out in the uh, in the now Mm -hmm. so in that sense i can have compassion for people i can forgive uh but on in another sense um there has to be boundaries. And mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. can be with family members, it can be with friends, it can be with work colleagues, whoever it is.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's boundaries have got nothing to do with fear or protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. It is coming out of love. It is coming out of self respect, going, Hey, right. um, you know, that is not appropriate. Or it's self
1: love. It, it's self love or self compassion.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So dealing with, you know, uh, say someone who is uh, bullying someone else, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't just keep being bullied. You can't keep surrendering. You can't just let someone walk all over you. Mm -hmm. Instead, what is required in that moment is for you to stand up for yourself and go, hey, you can't do that. And set your boundaries. So um, it is very circumstance dependent. Uh, and for that reason, like I, I, I do work with the heart a lot because for me, uh, when I, when I say high vagal tone or high heart rate variability, it's the ability of of the heart to really accelerate into like a fight or flight stage
3: mm-hmm. and then
2: decelerate just as quickly. That is high heart rate variability. Right. So if someone uh, has low heart rate variability, danger or threat may present itself, but because they have a low heart rate variability, they can't excite themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be at a party and someone might approach them and, you know, try to create a bit of excitement because, but because their heart rate can't, you know, go into that excitement level, that chemistry right. is lost. Um, or if someone has, uh, Again, low heart rate variability, but not low heart rates. The heart rate is still very high. Mm. Variability is low because they can't come back down. And so now they're really anxiety. Someone approaches them, they go in panic. Oh my God, like who is this person, you know, talking to me, like what do they want from me and all this kind of stuff. So suddenly, um, you know, you can see how neither extreme is good. Uh, when you have high heart rate variability it means you can go switch between all those states uh, seamlessly and that is what is required when you do come across different scenarios where if you are being bullied hey you can stand up and go hey man that is not cool or if someone comes to you and they're sharing, you know, offloading the emotion on you. And then you can go, okay, I can see where you're coming from. And there's empathy, there's connection, there's compassion going, mm-hmm. it's okay. You know, I might have behaved uh, some way, but you may have misinterpreted this. And so we can open those lines of communication through compassion. Yeah. So it's always very uh, circumstance dependent.
1: Right, right. You know, um, very, very good, because that's the same, that is the same line of logic in Buddhism. In Buddhism, you know, we really discuss the concept of compassion, and compassion also includes not only compassion for others um, in understanding or um, working, helping them with their suffering, whatever they're working on, um, but it also includes compassion for yourself but in the english language there is no definition there's no word for self-compassion it's just compassion it's just for others but there's nothing for self and um in buddhism there is compassion for self you must have compassion for yourself first before you have com- are able to have compassion for others which means in a situation where there are cruel people who are doing cruel things to you or cruel things to others um, let's take the example of the bully. If you have self-compassion for yourself, you are going to respect yourself. You are going to um, take care of yourself. And you, and by to do that, you are going to create those healthy boundaries to let others know what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and, um, in terms of engaging with you. And when you practice discernment to know the difference, that discernment and boundaries are very, very essential when it comes to understanding compassion Um, and mindfulness um, in the concept of samsara in buddhism is that when you understand the difference between the two in that situation then you create your boundaries and by creating those boundaries um, through understanding discernment of you know should i should and i which which option should i do um those Creating those boundaries is actually not only giving compassion to yourself, but it's also giving compassion to the bully because now you stop the bully from going further into being even more cruel because the more you don't do something and you allow the bully to continue to be cruel to you and others, the more, um, they are going to continue to suffer through harming everyone else because everyone else is connected and their brain and their body can't tell a difference if they're hurting others or hurting themselves because they're still going to have the same negative effects on their body and they've already proved this in science. So by not doing anything, you actually not only help hurt yourself, but you also hurt the bully by letting them continue to get worse and worse and worse and degenerate because no one stopped them. So um, you guys could all learn the lesson and um, move move forward, you know, by 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 setting those early boundaries. You know, this, this this reminds me of something that happens a lot in the playground. I'm not sure if it happened to you, but I see this a lot in the playground. And you especially see this with boys, because I'm a parent and I watch a lot of kids play, um, you know, my kids. But the boys play different from the girls. The boys, if they don't like each other, they're going to start kind of hitting each other and you know bullying each other but the minute somebody stops them and says no and they set up stand up for self, all of a sudden they stop picking on each other and they become friends instantly just become friends it happens all the time in the playground boys fighting and then afterwards they talk it out uh and then they become friends girls on the other hand are a little more sophisticated in how um they have discord they'll um they'll play a little bit more mind games okay um there's a little bit more verbal when it comes to the discussion they'll say mean things to each other um and then it'll take a little bit of time for them to talk it out they're gonna talk it out um and try to understand each other. but when they do, they become really really good friends and it creates a new bond like. That- the bully and the person being bullied become friends and there's like this bond that they have because now um, the person that was bullied um, stood up from the self to the bully and also forgave them. Um, and the bully realized that this is not who they are and they don't want to be like this. And they're only like this because of the personal issues that are happening in their, in their personal life. So um, And so now the the bully and the person being bullied now see each other from the other side and see each other um, suffering and see each other's humanity or um, see each other's lifestyles, and they have compassion and empathy for each other. So oftentimes what I found is uh, when you're in a situation where you have somebody who's been very cruel to you, it is an opportunity to rectify that. Um. and find find that love energy so let me ask you this so do you have a last message for people who are wanting to listen to their heart more in their life so that they can build kind of a more fifth dimensional or much higher uh, reality to live in
2: yeah so um, you know my entire ethos is built on uh, listening to the heart and um, just to make it really really simple that is the only decision you ever have to listen to what Mm -hmm. your heart says in the moment not tomorrow not what it decided yesterday simply in this moment Mm -hmm. and similar to how I described um, you know Uh, dealing with intense scenarios or uh, scenarios which require your empathy or your presence, Mm -hmm. Um, all of it is governed by the heart, uh, depending on whether it's rising or uh, decelerating. Um, So in any given moment, if you simply listen to your heart, your decision processes become so much more simplified. And it's the difference between you know, say uh, I'm confronted with something. Maybe it's an employee who comes up with, uh, you know, a, a trouble or work-related issue. And in that case, I could simply find a quick fix solution saying, hey, mm-hmm. you just work around this or do this. Uh, or if my heart rate is low, I have all the time in the world to listen to what they're saying, mm. uh, to look at all different angles, and go, okay, mm. this is what is happening, and then I can uh, create a roadmap for a long-term solution, you know, so it, it can happen with someone, it can happen with you individually as well, mm. if your heart rate is really high, and you're constantly faced with problems, you will go for the quick-fix solutions, because once the heart rate rises, uh, your Thinking becomes very lineal and goal-directed: fight or flight. How do I attack the problem? You know, this is very common in language, especially mm-hmm. amongst um, uh, the working population. Or how do I run away from the problem? You know, how do I run away from this relationship? Uh, so, or like, the decisions don't have to be uh, so um, instantly gratifying.
3: Mm-hmm. Instead,
2: when you listen to your heart and your heart rate is low, you have all the time in the world to consider all possibilities and then make a very informed decision. And when you start doing this, it creates long term fulfillment because you have gone through ups and downs. You have, you know, uh, overcome so many challenges by being compassionate. And then when you look back, you, you go, wow, like I feel really good about mm-hmm. You know the decisions that I've made uh, compared to you know quick fire decisions, mm-hmm. and then you look back and go, oh, "I wish I hadn't done that you know? <laughs> so that's that's the message i I want to leave people with it's It is so simple to simply listen to your heart,
1: yeah, and you know you're gonna be in the twenty twenty one higher self expo um in a couple of weeks, so are you, are you going to be talking about the precognition method? Is that what you're going to be presenting at the Higher Self Expo? Or?
2: Yes, yes. It will be uh, about the precognition method and the anatomy of love. So for the most part, I feel like uh, love has such so many different connotations to it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and for that reason, uh, we don't really have a, uh, a language to talk about it. And so just, you know, talking about it from a biological perspective and, you know, giving an insight of the anatomy of love, uh, that's, you know, that that would be the intention behind the talk.
1: Yeah, sounds like a really good talk. Well, Dr. Koshik Ram, thank you for offering to teach the precognition method. The debate is over, everyone. In every beat of our hearts, we send out love energy. So what kind of love are you sending out right now? That's what you always have to ask. So for more information about Dr. Koshik Ram's books and courses, please go visit his website, which is drkoshikram.com. And Koshik is K-A-U-S-H-I-K. Ramram.com, and then look out for him um, and his presentation at the Higher Self Expo in July. Um, the website for that is HigherSelfExpo.com. So it's going to be a lot of great speakers, including Dr. Ram. So thank you kindly to our listeners for listening to another enlightening conversation. Until next time, blessings.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to merkabachakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension until we meet again. Blessings.